What's up, cool cats and cuties? This is the Promenade Merchants Podcast, a Star Trek podcast out on the frontier. So sit down and grab a rock to Gino as David Majors and Heather Kirby talk all things Star Trek. Old, new, and what's to come. The Promenade Merchants are open for business. Greetings and salutations, everybody. Welcome to the Promenade Merchants Podcast, your cool, scrappy underdog, totally independent Star Trek podcast brought to you just about every two weeks. I'm David Majors. I got to attend the Discovery Virtual premiere, and I am joined by my co-host who got to attend season three's virtual premiere, Miss Heather Kirby. What's up, Heather? Well, I, it's a long story. I didn't actually attend the virtual premiere of season three, but I was invited, so it still counts, right? Oh, still absolutely. Counts. That totally counts. You, you got the invite, that counts. That's probably why I didn't get the invite to the season four premiere, because I didn't show up. But. Well, it was one of us. They they let one of the promenade merchants in, which is which is good enough. So yeah, yeah. Uh, one of us got to be with the cool kids for, for one night. But yeah, we're, we're, we're going to talk we're the about scrappy folks. So at least you, they, they got to let one of us in, you know, one of us. Uh, but we've got that and so much more Star Trek to talk about on this episode. Uh, we got a jam-packed episode, everybody. Uh, normally, on Promenade Merchants, we like to keep things fairly tight, fairly compact. But as you probably know if you're listening to this, we have two, count them, two Star Trek series currently airing for the first time in over two decades, we have two Star Trek shows airing simultaneously, and in new business, we're going to talk about both of them. So let's jump into the show. Now, if you're new to the Promenade Merchants podcast, we do this in segments where we're going to start with the old business, where we talk about everything from the cage all the way up to and including the Kelvin movie, sort of the classic Star Trek. And we'll talk about new business, which is where the spoiler zone will be, everybody. And then upcoming business where we talk about the news looking into the future. And yes, we are going to talk a little bit about the Netflix issue internationally. So we're going to get into that a little bit later. But first, we're going to start with a little bit from old business because... The first thing on the docket is I wanted to bring up something that comes up with Star Trek all too often. And as I said on the last episode, I have been watching the History Channel series The Center Seat, uh, covering the 55-year history of Star Trek, hosted, narrated, and produced by Gates McFadden, Dr. Beverly Crusher. And on episode two... Heather, uh, the entirety of episode two was about Star Trek, the animated series. And I found this to be really interesting that they spent this much time on the animated series, which for years and years was kind of seen as this obscure, almost forgotten piece of Star Trek history. But now in recent times, it's kind of gained a second life. But the thing that stood out to me and stopped me, Heather, if you've heard this before, is that when Star Trek, the original series got canceled, there was a fan campaign to bring it back after three seasons. I know for Star Trek Enterprise fans, that probably sounds familiar. And it kind of got brought back, sort of, but it was brought back in animated form. And... The first thing was that originally, Walter Koenig, Nichelle Nichols, and George Takei were not involved in the series until Leonard Nimoy put his foot down and said, I'm not coming back to this show until you get them back. And, well, George Takei and Nichelle Nichols were brought back to the cast. And Walter Koenig, Chekhov, was brought in as a writer. For a couple of episodes, he got some writing credits because uh, he was doing some acting and doing some writing. And he wrote a couple of episodes in the animated series, which was pretty cool. Also, when the animated series was greenlit, Heather, guess what happened? What? 
Nerds complained. They complained that an animated series wasn't real Star Trek. Oh, Heather, the more things change, the more they stay the same. Yeah, you know, I I mean, I think that fact alone just proves what so many of us have said over the years, that uh, people don't change. (laughs) People have acted the same since the 1970s when it comes to Star Trek, and uh, they don't change whatsoever. And... The good thing is, is that while the animated series won an Emmy and did pretty good ratings on Saturday mornings as a Saturday morning cartoon, it did not get the audience that TV networks were looking for. It was not getting a kid's audience. It was getting sort of an all ages, including adult audience, because... Gene Roddenberry and the staff behind Star Trek who worked on the animated series as well as the original series, they did not dumb the show down. They saw the animated series as a fourth season of Star Trek, whether people complaining wanted to accept that or not. And from my opinion, I feel like the animated series, if you look at it as a fourth season of Star Trek, it's fine. It's okay. And, excuse me, and at the end of the episode of The Center Seat, everyone that they had involved, writers, producers, a few different Star Trek fans, they all came to the conclusion that, yes, everybody, the animated series from the 70s is canon. It's absolutely canon. Because without it, we w- there were things from the rest of Star Trek that we wouldn't have today. So, yes, the animated series is canon. It is Star Trek. And it- it's okay to welcome it. <laughs> you know, I <laughs> I know some of the most even diehard Star Trek fans and very positive Star Trek fans who to this day still don't consider the animated series canon. <laughs> um, well, the wrong. I, 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 I mean, I don't want to name any names because they are very good friends and they, they, they don't do it in a toxic you can spill way. The, you can spill the Andorian tea with me offline. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I, I, I just... Um, it, it, I mean, I mean, you're right. They didn't, and, and I don't want to use the term dumb it down because I don't think you need to dumb down Star Trek necessarily when it comes to appealing to kids. I mean, you and I st- started watching it from a young age. Um, it, it, it depends on the kid or if you're trying to have a direct kid audience like Prodigy, which we're going to talk about later. Um, but it, it depends on your approach to it. I don't think it necessarily needs to be dumbed down. I think it was just because the animated series uh, was still written and produced by the same people who wrote the original series. And they approached it as the fourth season of the original series. And it happened during a time where animated shows were strictly for children. Like it wasn't like today where we have plenty of animated shows that are not child appropriate, (laughs) you know, Um, that are written in mind for adults. Like back at that time frame, animated shows were strictly for children. And so the fact that they didn't really approach it with kids in mind, they just approached it doing more Star Trek, but in animated form, it, it, it kind of turned out with a little bit of a wonky reputation that it it still carries to this day, but that doesn't mean it's any less Star Trek than anything else. So that's just my thoughts on it. And once again, all Star Trek is canon. That's what we say here on this podcast. It's all canon. It's all canon. Even and the stuff Alex you don't Kurtzman like. still isn't fired. <laughs> 
Even the stuff you don't like is canon. So, for the next topic, uh, I liked this one, Heather. Uh, uh, honestly, th- this one might get me in trouble uh, because I'm going to be a little shameless here. Uh, Heather, you talked about the idea of recurring guest stars in Star Trek. So, uh I want to ask you, and please, for listeners out there, please, at PromTrekPod on Twitter, and send us an email, PromenadeTrekPod at gmail.com. Let us know your favorite recurring guest star. Uh, Heather, uh, I know I grew up uh, in a household that loved Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan, so if this were my mother or my sister... I'm pretty sure that'd be their answer. Whoopi Goldberg as Guinan. So tell me who is your favorite recurring Trek guest star? Well, frankly, I have three. <laughs> um, I have three that are definitely... No, you're only allowed to do one. <laughs> I can't pick one. I'm sorry. I have three. <laughs> a- um, but when you look at the entirety of Trek... Like, and, and the, that's kind of the reason why I, I phrased it this way is that there are, you can approach this kind of different ways, but when we talk about recurring guest star is someone who has returned to the series multiple times as the same character, but there are a ridiculous amount of actors who have been on Star Trek as multiple characters as well. And, and th- my pick my pick is one of those. Yeah. So my three, because <laughs> like I said I couldn't narrow it down to one. But I love each of these three people uh, in different ways. And they have both, or uh, all two of them have played multiple recurring characters. And one just barely falls under the recurring character status, but she has played multiple characters across multiple shows. So that is Majel Barrett Roddenberry, because everyone knows how much I love Majel Barrett. Um, She's legendary, and she has played five different characters um, in every single... Uh, like the first uh, I'm trying to count now because we're going to include the animated the TOS, the animated series TNG Voyager and Deep Space Nine so across the first five shows in the Star Trek universe she has played multiple different characters um, She she's just a force and we could talk about how oh you know she got to do that because she was Roddenberry's wife and because she was his mistress first and sleeping with him. I'm not getting into that with any of you. Majel Barrett is a force. Okay. Come fight me on that. Um, when we're talking about the other two, uh, one is also a legend in his own right, who recently guest starred in uh, an episode of, Star Trek Lower Decks. So he finally returned to the Star Uh, Trek universe in uh, the new era, but that is Mr. Jeffrey Combs. Uh, Yes, yes, yes. He is a fantastic... One of my favorite characters in Star Trek Enterprise, Heather. You know, Shran is my favorite character in Star Trek Enterprise. I have no problem saying that. I I don't have any uh, dislike towards Enterprise, but Shran is hands down my favorite character in the entire series, and he's not even a regular. He's just a recurring character. Um, I love Shran so much. Uh, the third one, like I said, it just barely falls under the recurring guest star role because she played the same character twice in TNG, but that is the great Susie Plaxon. Ah, uh, Yes. Well, I'm just going to go ahead and say that my favorite was Susie Plaxon. <laughs> okay, yes. Um, of course, she played Lieutenant Kalar in The Next Generation and Dr. Salar, the Vulcan, as well on an episode. Uh, she was the female Q on an episode of Voyager. Yes. And she was Tara, another Andorian in an episode of Enterprise. And 
I'm I'm just gonna say it. I like Susie Plaxon a lot. I like her. I like her. I I, 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 I like her. I mean, she just has such a fierce attitude that comes across in her characters and that strong uh, feminist energy that she brings to these different roles that are all different uh, from the Q to Kalar to uh, Tara and they're, they're they're just fantastic you know like it, you you can tell even underneath the makeup uh or the alien makeup that she wears like she is Susie Plaxon and she's gonna bring that fierceness to that character and and she's just she's so good she's so good she deserves like, I, I can so much honestly more say that Susie Plaxon is pretty high on my trek crush list She's very high on that list. If I were to meet her at a convention someday, I would be a little stuttery and stammery with Susie Plaxon just because I I I like her. That's it. And she's my favorite of recurring people on Star Trek. She's my favorite. Anytime I see her in an episode of Star Trek, I just light up. I light up for her. So yeah. Susie Plaxon, she's my favorite. She's absolutely my favorite. Uh, and I think her role as Kalar was extremely significant to Worf's character arc, as well as Alexander's. Yes. Uh, I loved her as the female Q on Voyager. That was <laughs> such a great episode. Yes. And seeing Q John DeLancey uh, being put in sort of his place was infinitely satisfying because I don't like Q. And yeah, I just love her. I think she's great. Anytime she pops up, I'm happy to see her. So if she shows up in Lower Decks or anywhere else, I will welcome her with open arms, eyes, and ears. So yay, Susie Plaxon. And big yay. Uh, her, her role as Tara in that Enterprise episode, like watching her and yes, Jeffrey Combs yes. tear up the yes. screen together is just, oh, it's so good. And that, that quality Star Trek quality, like all the Andorian episodes are, are, are pretty well liked amongst Enterprise. Let's be honest. But that one it is kind of like forgotten amongst how good some of the other ones are. But it's so good just because Susie Plaxon's in it. It really is. <laughs> Agreed. Agreed. So we're pretty much on the same page with our favorite recurring actors and characters. So everyone out there listening, let us know at Prom Trek Pod on Twitter. Send us an email at Promenade Trek Pod. And if you do, we'll reply back. We'll totally answer back. We have no problem. I know I can be a little cantankerous, but... Yeah, I'm happy to talk Star Trek with you. So at Prom Trek Pod on Twitter, let us know your favorites. All right, Heather, are you ready to move to new business? That I am. Okay. So for everyone out there that is keeping themselves in the bubble, now is the time to skip ahead. I will put the timestamp in the show notes if you download it and give it a listen. So be brave, be bold, be courageous. We are jumping into the spoiler zone now. Star Trek Prodigy, episodes four and five. Uh, let's start with Prodigy Episode 4, which was entitled Dreamcatcher. So we're seeing with Prodigy right now that they were on this M-Class planet. And I couldn't help but laugh uh, because Jenkin Palm called the M-Class planet Murder Planet. <laughs> and M, that, that, that got a giggle out of me. Uh, but with this episode, Dreamcatcher, and the next episode, Terra Firma, uh, the crew of the Protostar lands on a planet to get away from the Diviner. And once they make their way to this planet, we find out that it is not so safe. 
and it gets inside of the crew's heads. And then in episode five, Terra Firma, the crew has to get off of this planet before the planet eats them because this planet is alive and carnivorous and is trying to eat them and eat the ship. And we find out a little bit more about the USS Protostar. Heather, episodes four and five, what did you think? You know, I really loved this. It, it, it was basically like a two-parter, these two episodes. So I think it goes really well that we get to talk about them together. Um, I, I really loved watching the crew kind of come together and each sort of find their own identity, um, especially in Terra Firma with Gwen, who's becoming one of my favorite characters. Just watching her really discover that, you know, she she wants to help them and then she wants to work with them. Um, I <laughs> there were so many great character moments as we're starting to know and get to know and love all of these characters better. Like you mentioned, Jacob Pog calling it the murder planet. And then, of course, there's rock talk in the background going, why well, wanted to name it Larry? <laughs> What kind of name for a planet is Larry? <laughs> An L class. <laughs> well, that's even a good part too. When Jane, Hollow Janeway tells them they found an N class planet, and Dahl's just like, you know, only A class is good for my crew because he has no idea what M class means. But I mean, even we got to. Um, especially in the second episode when uh, Janeway was trying to deal with what was happening to the ship on her own because the crew wasn't there. We got to see some character development in her part as a hologram. And that sounds ridiculously weird. But one thing Voyager established is that holograms can be sentient in their own right as well as they had doctors. So you got to see hollow Janeway sit there and talk herself through solving the problem, asking what would the real Captain Janeway do? Which I thought was a really cool moment. Um, we got to see Agreed. how much the diviner really cares about the ship over his own daughter. Um, Cause yeah, that, that, that was a he real shows the ship. That, that was a gut uh, check. And, and I remember in episode five, I remember in episode five where Gwyn repeated that a couple of times mm -hmm. to come to that realization that the diviner really doesn't care that much about her in comparison to the proto star. And she kept that realization of he chose the ship over me. He chose the ship over me. I, that's my father in, in, in a way. And, yeah. and he really doesn't care about me over this ship. But then we find out about the proto star and yes. we find out it's not just a regular Starfleet vessel. We find out that it has a containment field that contains a miniature star inside of its engine, which means it's super powered. And at the end of episode five, they escape from being chased by the diviner. So now we've got a little bit information, a little bit more information on why the USS Protostar is a special ship. So now things are starting to open up a little bit on Prodigy and with the Protostar. See, and I, I'm wondering if that will answer some people's questions, because a lot of people wanted to know like how they were in the Delta Quadrant, uh, how they're going to involve... Captain Chakotay and his crew, which are going to come and play at some point during the season. Um, that protostar drive, I imagine, can get them back to the Alpha Quadrant a whole lot quicker than it did Voyager. So it, it did that that's a good indication as to where things And that's go why it's there. Hollow Janeway. Yes. Yes. Because she knows her way around the Delta Quadrant, but the Proto Star can get them back quickly. Oh, 
That, there it is. There it is. That makes all the sense in the world. Yep. Sure does. Good good call, Heather. Good call. Yeah. So I, I think it's going to be interesting moving forward. Um, of course, now we have to wait until like the middle of January until <laughs> we get more Prodigy episodes. <laughs> but I, I've really, I, I've really fallen in love with this show over the first five episodes. So I can't wait to see more. I still like it. I still like it. I'm still having some fun with it. I think the the characters, for the most part, have grown on me. I still don't like Jenkin Pog, <laughs> but they're they're growing on me on the whole. I, I'm I'm having fun with them overall. I liked that they got away from the diviner because I think that was a a good spot to leave off, and now they can explore. A little bit. Hey, it's Star Trek, and we're exploring. How about that? I, 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 I'm still gonna see that Lucille Bluth meme in my head every time you say I don't like Jacob. <laughs> that that's what I did it for. Uh, for <laughs> listeners that don't follow me on Twitter, and I don't blame you. Uh, I used the Lucille Bluth I don't care for meme uh, when I was talking about all of the characters of Star Trek Prodigy, and. So far, five episodes in, I don't care for Jenkin Pog. That, that's all. I don't, I don't care for him yet. I get that he's a tellerite, and they like to argue, and they like to play devil's advocate, and I, I understand that. Not a fan. Not a fan. Like th- There are some characters in, in even your favorite shows where you're just like, I'm not a fan of that. Not a fan of them. And... But overall, I I am enjoying Star Trek Prodigy. Five episodes in, I like where it's going. And I'm looking forward to more. I'm looking forward to more. And we'll talk about just how much more Star Trek Prodigy we'll be getting in upcoming business a little bit later. But, Heather, (laughs) we have new Star Trek Discovery. Oh. Yes, 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 yes. Oh, man. I loved this season premiere, Heather. The first episode of season four, Kobayashi Maru. I absolutely loved this episode. We get introduced to President Rillick, who I really like. The Archer Space Dock. And playing Archer's theme from Star Trek Enterprise, my heart just exploded with nerd joy from that moment. (laughs) And seeing Starfleet Academy starting up again and how they mentioned that this is going to be the first class of Starfleet Academy cadets in 125 years. And the opening that they encountered the butterfly slash moth people. I originally thought they were mosquito people uh, and they were attempting to do a diplomatic mission uh, very much in the vein of Star Trek Beyond. And I thought it was hilarious and fun. It had some really good action. And the entire episode's production level was just top notch. I I love, I've really grown to appreciate just how high level star trek discovery's production value is and it really shined through in this episode i could not say enough about how much i loved everything about this episode when they got to the station that was floating through space and they had to go on a rescue mission and then it was a scientific mission and then it turned into a rescue mission and then commander Nollis was there and he had his own agenda and The best way I described it when I was tweeting about it for Disco on the Prom was it felt like a TNG episode, but at like twice the speed. And I absolutely loved it. It it was an hour-long adrenaline rush, and I absolutely loved this episode. I'm going to go ahead and say that it might be my favorite Star Trek season premiere in a long, long time. Maybe since Voyager. <laughs> uh, well, 
I don't know if I could say that, but I have a hard time ranking season premieres when it comes to Discovery, at least, because I I, I just I love it so much. And as the season premieres always stick out to me because it's like I, I love this show and I love this crew and I love all these characters. And then it's like seeing them on my screen again. Like I was so overwhelmed by the time I hit the opening credits of this episode, I was like bawling. <laughs> okay. <laughs> and, and it wasn't because I was sad. It was just because I was so happy to be watching Star Trek Discovery again. Like that's truly how much I love this show. Um, the open, the cold open, the opening sequence there literally felt like it was out of a Kelvin movie. It really did. It felt like the opener to Into Darkness or Beyond. Um, it, it it just had that same sort of slightly botched diplomatic mission uh, energy. And, you know, I, I think Burnham really came across as a very um, Kirk-like captain in this episode. And I, I don't want anyone to think I mean any insult by that because I don't um Kirk was the original he was a trailblazer no matter what you think about Kirk and Burnham really approaches things in her own way and really has her own mindset about how she needs to handle things and how she needs to do things and that really shone through in this episode to me that her leadership style and her attitude towards it and i i i think that's really going to be a huge journey throughout this season is to watch her at, in the captain's chair and how she handles uh different other authority figures like how she dealt with the president in this episode um because she's never handled authority figures very well. She never has. That's part of her character. And, and neither did Jim Kirk. Yeah, and, and and neither did Jim Kirk. So, I mean, there is, when you really look at it, there are a lot of similarities between Burnham as captain and Kirk as a captain. So I think that's going to be really interesting to explore throughout the season. Um, the... Cliffhanger at the end, though. Oh, wow. Um, I know you got to see episode two because you were at the premiere, but I just I I can't wait to see what happens with that. I, it, it's, it's absolutely heartbreaking. Quajan is such a beautiful planet. And one of the things that immediately connected me to the character of Book was how like his, his empathic abilities, how he's able to connect to uh, nature and different animals in that way. And that comes from him being from Quajan. And so to see that entire planet, which has such a huge connection to nature and its own environment be destroyed that way. is just, it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely heartbreaking. Um. Yeah, I, I, I really, I, I, I really it, it was, can't wait. It was really tough. Yeah, yeah, I really can't wait yeah. to see where it goes from there because it, it's just one other thing I want to throw out there is um, I'm interested that there were some hints in the episode that Tilly's finally hit the point, the realization of everything that's happened to her, and the position that she's now in and she's struggling with that a little bit. So I, I really can't wait to see where Tilly's journey goes this season. I think that was a really good moment with Tilly and Dr. Culber who, who once again, Dr. Culber, so good. Fantastic. Uh, they spoke for a moment and then Tilly asked to speak with Dr. Culper in a more professional counseling matter. And they made the point to 
point that out that sometimes it's okay to talk about those things if you feel like you're not doing okay. And we saw that in season three with Lieutenant Detmer. And now we're seeing that with Tilly because let's face facts. The crew of the Discovery have gone through a lot. They really have. And you would think that some of them might need to talk with a ship's counselor about that. You would think so. And that's totally okay sometimes. That's what the doctor and the ship's counselor is there for. That's what they're there for. And Dr. Culber has the best bedside manner I think I've ever seen. And he is so welcoming and so comforting as a physician that it it would be impossible not to want to talk to him because he's he's so good at his job as a doctor that it's uh, again dr culber and wilson cruz he he is really making his way up the charts for me as far as favorite star trek characters go i'm really growing to like dr culber a lot and just there is so much in this first episode i might watch it again and it would be the third time i've watched this episode i'm i'm just as excited as you to see star trek discovery is back and we really didn't even talk about everything yet we didn't talk about adira getting a commission to be an ensign and how they're kind of stuttering and stammering the same way tilly was when tilly was an ensign (laughs) and how they went with tilly on the mission to the ship with commander nalas and how this was there was a lot of science in this episode too there was a lot of science and minor spoiler minor spoiler there's a lot of science in episode two as well that's the only thing you're gonna get there's a lot of science in episode two as well and they're really upping the science and the science fiction so far and i i just there was a lot I liked about this episode, and we really didn't even talk about Commander uh, President Rillick yet. We didn't even talk about her yet. Who I I I like President Rillick. I I know that she got a lot of fans upset at her, but I kind of like her, Heather. I kind of like President Rillick. Well, you know, I I I do too. I mean, I I really gravitate towards. I, I'll be honest, I gravitate towards strong women characters, especially in Star Trek. And um, I think President Rillick, just in her first episode, has proven that she's a very strong woman character. Um, she has a, a, a force about her that brings the authority, but also, you know, um, makes her kind of relatable, too. Um, just, I, I, I don't know. There's something about President Relic I really like. And I know she really faced off with Burnham and she told her some very strong truths, but it's honestly, it's, it's something that Burnham did need to hear, whether she likes and or agrees with it or not. Um, I think especially after the events of season three, Burnham's in a very unique position when it comes to Starfleet because like they they came from the future or they came from the past into their future. Um, They don't really have a relationship with a lot of the, the characters from their time frame, and they're in a weird position where they needed the discovery in order to deliver dilithium across the galaxy to people. They needed their technology in order to make that happen. And so I think that really left uh, Burnham and the Discovery in a position where they could kind of chart their own course and make, I don't want to say make their own rules, but really... um, if she didn't want to do something, she didn't have to, <laughs> you know? And so really, really called her out on just learning how to not just. I, I think 
the thing that I liked that Rillick called Burnham out on for me is that she sees that and the title of the episode is Kobayashi Maru. And the whole point of the Kobayashi Maru that Rillick brought up is that you cannot control everything and you cannot control everyone and save everyone. And even I think in an earlier season, Burnham said when somebody brought up a no-win scenario, she said, I don't believe in those. Again, another nod to Jim Kirk. And the, the president said that Burnham's really not quite ready to be in a higher position. She can be captain of the Discovery and she can throw herself into danger to a certain extent. And I, I liked something that President Rillick said while she was on the mission on the Discovery, where she said, asking a question does not imply questioning. And that was probably the first time that Burnham had really been questioned. And I know that probably a lot of fans were like, how dare she? And I'm kind of like, you know, maybe, maybe. And it made me ask the question, how would you feel about that if it were James Kirk? If someone was questioning him, would you feel the same way? Would you feel differently? And I think that's okay. It's it's okay to question the main character. I don't necessarily see President Rillick as a villain or an antagonist yet. How about you, Heather? I don't see her as a villain. No, I definitely don't think she's a villain. Um, like, she's really... I, I think she's kind of... She'll end up being a character a lot like Admiral Vance was uh, last season, where he started out very antagonistic towards uh, Discovery and her crew, but in the end, end up by the end of the season, ended up being a friend and ally and the Dadmiral, who everyone loves. Um, I think President Rillick is going to be a similar type of character. So that they're introducing her as, as someone who will face off and challenge Burnham, but not in a way that's meant to be negative, in a way that will help Burnham grow as a captain. I, I I don't think that 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 conversation or anything that occurred from it was meant to be negative. It's meant to help her grow as a captain. She never took the Kobayashi Maru. So as much as she knows what the test is, she never took it. She never experienced it. Yes, she doesn't believe in no win scenarios, but she has she's gotten so used to, especially over the past season of fighting for herself, but fighting for her family and discovery has become very much a close knit family. And so she needs to learn now as a captain that the needs of the many do outweigh the needs of the few. And that's, that's a a lesson that she's, I I really do think that's a lesson she's going to learn as the season progresses. I think that is given from what I've seen of episode two, I think that that is going to be the theme of this season, that the needs of the many outweigh the needs of the few. And who said that? Spock. <laughs> Michael's sister, Michael's brother. Yes. Yeah. 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 That, that will be a lesson to learn for, for Michael Burnham, I think. Man, we didn't even talk about Saru yet. <laughs> <laughs> no, we didn't talk about great elder Saru. Oh my God, I love yes. that. Because some of those people in that council, council chamber are probably older than him, but he's the great elder because he's from 900 years in the past. Yep, I love that. <laughs> and you saw on Kaminar that the Kelpians and the Baul were in a council room together. So... 900 years later, Kaminar looks to be in a much better place than it was. And you love to see that. And Saru's speech, 
on Kaminar was fantastic. Yes. Just so well delivered by Doug Jones and the special effects of showing the planets and the stars and the galaxy. That was that was so cool and so well done. Okay, so do you know what that is? Because this is the first season. I, I just, I just want to – sorry to interrupt your thought process there, but I wanted to bring this up. This The first season – uh, in season four, where they built a 360 effect stage like they use in The Mandalorian for Star Trek Discovery. So that's why we're getting all these really cool effects, because that's that stage that they're working on, uh, where basically the entire background is green screen and the effects are built into it. That is fantastic. That is wonderful. I, I love, again, it goes back to discovery's big budget production and we've always said on this podcast how we would love more episodes and longer seasons but man the the level of budget and production they put into each episode of discovery it's it's a joy to watch it is a visual joy again bringing up my new tv it's a visual spectacle discovery it really is and this first episode was a visual spectacle it has great special effects some fantastic action some science some great star trek dialogue some humor some great back and forth between book and burnham and yeah just loved it loved it loved it loved it oh and we still haven't mentioned that uh Lieutenant Commander Kayla Detmer just very much solidified she's one of the best pilots in the galaxy. <laughs> oh yeah, no doubt, no doubt. And and Reese, Lieutenant Commander Reese sitting in the chair at the con uh in the first act. That was great. Like it was cool seeing the bridge crew uh, on the on the discovery uh, on a mission doing things with Reese in the chair. Uh Patrick Quachun talked about how we're going to see more of the bridge crew and we already are and that's great yeah no i frankly they all deserved their promotions so i loved seeing them in this episode and really just seeing each and every one of them strut their stuff and those gold uniforms man i love those gold uniforms i I still want. I think, I think I like the gold uniforms the most. I think I, I really like the gold ones. I, I, I like the command red the most. <laughs> you know, I would normally say that. Normally, I would, but the the discovery gold is just—it's working for me. It really is. I really like the gold. Um. Okay. So very quickly, yes, I did get to see episode two anomaly for the virtual premiere. Not too many spoilers, but I will say that I don't think that this is going to be quite yet another threatens the galaxy danger plot for Discovery that I think everyone is talking about so much, but it definitely is a kind of spatial anomaly. There's going to be a lot of science and a lot of techno babble in this season is what I'm getting. So that will be something to look forward to. And I can definitely see that President Rillick will be a foil character to Burnham. Uh, the way you described it with Admiral Vance in season three is pretty accurate. I, I think that's going to be accurate, that President Rillick will be not necessarily an antagonist to Burnham, but someone to challenge her, to help her learn and grow more into being a captain. And I know that they talked about that in interviews, that there's going to be a lot of Michael Burnham growing into being a captain because the thing that I've noticed so far is that Michael Burnham as a captain reminds me more of Kelvin Universe James Kirk more yes. than anything else. Yes. Um, it, she's definitely more in line with Chris Pine's Jim Kirk more than William Shatner. 
but I think in time she will grow into her own character and be her own captor. And I think having these mentor figures like Vance and like President Rillick are going to be very helpful for her. And I think we saw that more in episode two anomaly. And that's all you're going to get. That's all you're going to get. Okay. We are leaving the spoiler zone and we are jumping to upcoming business. Star Trek prodigy has been renewed for a second season. And also it's first season is being extended to 20 episodes which will double it from the original 10. So Star Trek Discovery is already off and running. Did you mean Star Trek Prodigy? <laughs> did, did I say did you I say Discovery? Discovery. Yeah. Oh man, I'm can, can you tell that I really liked <laughs> Discovery season 4 so far? Can you tell? Yeah. Uh but you know, I I I I kind of I like the weird breakup or setup that they have between the episodes of of Star Trek Prodigy's first season um, because we had, for the first time since the 90s, had two brand new Star Trek episodes air on the same day this past week. Uh, but going forward, Star Trek Prodigy is going on a break while Star Trek Discovery airs. And the next five episodes of Star Trek Prodigy will air at the end of January into the beginning of February, which we already know uh, in February is when season two of Star Trek Picard is going to premiere. So we're basically, we had five episodes of Prodigy. We're getting Star Trek Discovery, its entire season. Then we're getting five more episodes of Prodigy. And then we're getting Star Trek Picard and its 10 episodes, which will likely lead into season one of Strange New Worlds, which will likely then lead into the last 10 episodes of Star Trek Prodigy. <laughs> uh, so it, the, the, we're going to have a lot of new business. They're keeping up with the system of a new episode of Star Trek on every week on Paramount Plus, which when Alex Kurtzman first started on this huge Star Trek universe journey, he said ultimately that that was his goal to have new Star Trek on every week. And right now that's looking like what we're going to get for 2022. And I love that idea. Um, I, I wasn't as surprised about Star Trek Prodigy having 20 episodes. I mean, considering most of the other ones have 10, yes, it was a little bit of a surprise. But you got to remember, this is going to be the one show that actually airs on a cable network. It's not just going to air on streaming. Uh, we still don't have a date for when Star Trek Prodigy is going to air on Nickelodeon. As far as I know, they still haven't announced that. So what especially with how they've broken up, I think it's going to kind of make sense that Star Trek Prodigy is not going to start airing on Nickelodeon until um, closer to where they're, where they're, when they're going to air the last 10 episodes of season one. And then you're going to have 20 episodes in a row airing on Nickelodeon because Nickelodeon's not one of those channels where you're going to have multiple mid-season breaks of episodes and shit. Um so I think that's why it's also kind of why it's going to be set up that way. And that's also why we're getting 20 episodes because it's airing on an actual network instead of just streaming. So that's my thoughts on that. I, I think that makes a lot of sense. Uh, we're going to have a lot of Star Trek uh, going into 2022 and beyond. Uh, just reading here, uh, it will return Star Trek Prodigy on January 20, uh, January 6th of 2022. So right at the new year, which I think will be right when Discovery ends, I think, just about, Heather? Yeah, I think yeah. so, yeah. Just about? I didn't actually do count that out in my head, but I think so, yes. Yeah. Just, just about around that time when Discovery Season 4 ends. So we're still going to have plenty of Star Trek to talk about in new business. So that should bring us into the discussion about 
international viewers. Uh, unfortunately, recently, Netflix, which was the home of Star Trek Discovery, uh, internationally, outside of the U.S. and Canada, stopped airing Star Trek Discovery. So as we're recording this right now, as Star Trek Discovery Season 4 has premiered, there is no legal option for international viewers for Star Trek Discovery and Star Trek Prodigy. So that's not cool. That's not cool at all. And whether it's Viacom or Paramount or CBS or Netflix internationally or whomever, this is not good. This is really not good because now you're forcing fans to get their Star Trek viewing through not-so-legal methods. The Orion Syndicate were pirates. I'm just saying, everybody, the Orion Syndicate were pirates. And, yeah, not good. Not good at all. You know, it's a really unfortunate situation. Um, I think there's a lot of blame to be spread around here because it's something that Paramount could have handled better. It's something that Netflix could have handled better. And that's ultimately why it came to a last minute decision. I mean, they didn't announce this was happening until two days before season four was going to premiere, which I think is what hurt international fans the most. Um, it, it, it's something that could have been handled better by all parties involved. And I, I think it's something that's they don't believe is going to hurt them in the long run because Paramount Plus is supposed to start rolling out internationally in the early part of 2022. They don't have exact months or dates for that yet, but they do have deal signed deal signed with the uh, Sky Network in the UK and Europe in order to have a partnership with Paramount Plus when it rolls out. Um, so they, they have plans in place, but they don't have specific dates that they've announced for that yet. Um, and I've, I've seen many comments from people who are saying they don't intend to sign up for Paramount Plus once it does actually come to them because of this whole situation, which I think is unfortunate. Um, I, I just, I, I do, despite any of my, cause I, I did have some strong feelings about uh, some of the opinions international fans had because they had to watch it a day later than the U S um, despite any of my feelings about that, this whole situation is unfortunate and all of the international fans deserve to watch, especially a show that's now in its fourth season. They deserve to watch it at the same time as we do in the U S and what's happening to them is absolutely not fair. And they have every right to be outraged and upset about it. Um, I also think it's unfortunate because as much as they have every right to be outraged and upset about it, they are also taking it out on anyone, any American fan who is, or Canadian fan who is able to watch it. Um, there's going to be, I, I, I felt hesitant to post on my Twitter about watching Star Trek Discovery because there's going to be someone who shows up to tell me about how they can't watch it. And I, I don't think that's a really fair reaction on their part. Like, I, I, I'm sorry you guys can't watch it. I really am. But and so am I. But I don't think that's a reason to try and guilt trip people who can, especially since so many people online are going out of their way to respect the spoiler bubble like we are we are live tweeting discovery at a very specific time we're using our own hashtag 
along with the Star Trek Discovery hashtag. I have not said anything about Discovery on my personal account at all, uh, save for the fact that I attended the premiere, uh, and that was it. That's all I really said is I attended the premiere. And if other audiences internationally are trying to guilt trip or shame other people because they get to watch the show, but they're still trying their best to respect the spoilers. You know, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, we're I'm Heather. I'm going to do it. Cause we talked about it in DMS. I'm going to do it. I'm going to say it. Nobody here is saying anything about Dr. Who. Okay. So there are spoiler bubbles all around. So don't guilt trip people. And don't also rub it in people's faces that you got to watch it. Respect the spoiler bubble. Use the hashtags. You can especially use the hashtag disco on the prom Saturday evenings, seven o'clock Eastern time. You can especially (laughs) use that one Uh, where we will be live tweeting at prom Trek pod for every episode this season. You like how I got that in there, didn't you, Heather? I I, I love the shameless plug there, Triple H. Yes, shameless plug. That's right. (laughs) But yeah, like I I only posted one thing about watching the premiere, and I didn't even specifically state that I was talking about Star Trek Discovery. It was just kind of implied. I, I, I just posted about how I broke down in tears because I was, I was watching the season premiere of a show that I loved. And even that garnered a whole bunch of posts from inter- international fans talking about how they couldn't watch it yet. Like I, I just, yeah. Don't do that to someone who is especially trying to respect and remain spoiler free because I didn't post any spoilers. I didn't post anything about what happened in the episode. You know, I um, only intentionally going to post on our live tweets on Saturdays when I'm the one tweeting. Like that's the only time I will end up sharing anything spoilery and it will all be hashtag. Like other than that, I have no intention of writing anything about Star Trek discovery just because like we, we can say that to the, the ends come home, but there will always be someone out online who will somehow find your post and, say something and i i get it you know i i get it people are shitty you know there's people who will spoil shit intentionally because they're assholes and like you mentioned doctor who i know that as a doctor who fan because even though the doctor who episode airs on the same day in the u.s it just airs five hours later I will still see spoilers in those five hours for the Doctor Who episode because people do it, you know? And yeah, I, I people in general have a tendency to be shitty. We, for the most part, Star Trek fans are really upset that this has happened and we're trying to do our best to keep it spoiler free for everyone and And the cast members didn't even know the cast members didn't even know until the news broke yeah the cast members didn't even know like they felt bad because they started getting tagged in posts from international fans when the news was breaking and i i just it's no one's fault in this this instance like if you want to direct your negative energy at someone do it at the corporations don't do it at the cast. Don't do it at the the fans who do have the ability to watch it. Like, I understand. I understand the anger, but just we need to all respect each other as a fandom in this case. And just Agreed. keep moving forward. And respect the spoiler bubble. Use the hashtags and wait for news that changes the situation. And... When that news breaks, we'll talk about it, and hopefully it'll be good. And I think that'll wrap up this episode of Promenade Merchants. Uh, We did say that this would be a bit longer, because there was a lot of Star Trek, and there's going to continue to be a lot of Star Trek going forward. And Heather, it's always a pleasure to do this with you. Uh, Always a pleasure. 
Dang, we have been talking for over an hour. I didn't even realize that much time has passed. It is always a pleasure. Um, if you want to talk about anything else besides Star Trek, <laughs> you can find me on Twitter at NerdyGal33. Uh, there's a huge episode of SVU coming up. Annika, we need to talk about how Raphael Barba is going to be defending Richard Wheatley. I have thoughts. We're going to have to talk about it after that episode. I'm just telling you right now. Um, but yeah. Anyone wants to talk about SVU, come find me. <laughs> yes. And one of these days we'll get that SVU podcast going. As for me, if you want to talk about wrestling or other podcasts that I do, you can follow me at call me DJM on Twitter. And of course, follow this very podcast and talk Star Trek with us, please at prom P R O M Trek T R E K pod P O D at prom Trek pod. And join the conversation. Send us a tweet. Send us an email. Let us know how much you love Susie Plaxon, because we love Susie Plaxon here on this podcast. <laughs> Thank you for listening to the Promenade Merchants podcast. And until next time, walk with the prosper and live long and profits. Let's fly. <laughs> <laughs>